turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Now, most of the uh, texts will be on the wall this morning, and so I'll be jumping around a bit, as you'd expect. Uh, but let's focus our minds on what we have to learn this morning with this verse. And just as you turn there, let's pray briefly again, one last time. Father, we thank you so much for the huge number of children that's just left us, uh, that they have gone to hear from your word as well. And we, we thank you for that responsibility that you've given us. We pray that you'll be with Deborah and Deborah as they teach the boys and girls in Sunday school. We pray that you'd be with Susanna and Shannon as they look after the children in crash. And we pray for each one of them that your spirit would be at work in their hearts too. But Lord, now would you show us Christ and through the preaching of your word, would you make us more like him? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. According to the Bible, words have serious consequences. We've all heard the English proverb, haven't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they will not harm me. Well, according to this proverb, not so. Words have the power to bring life and they have the power to bring death. They can destroy relationships or they can mend them. Words can start wars or they can end wars. That's why in the book of Proverbs, words are often likened to weapons. Consider this proverb. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. We've all been on the receiving end of that, haven't we? Words that cut deep to the heart. And all too often, we have gripped the handle of that sword as well. We have given harsh words to others. And once they're out, there's no going back. According to Proverbs, in this fallen world, we're in the trenches and it's a war of words. Now, it's always been like this. It's been like this from the beginning. Satan's first weapon were his words. What did he say? He asked, did God really say? With his words, he introduced doubt into the minds of Adam and Eve. And the rest is history. Ever since sin entered the world, the words of the wicked people, of wicked people like you and me, they destroy words can destroy. Let's consider a few Proverbs on this. Wicked words can lead to a broken spirit. Proverbs 18, 14 says, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? We can put up with a lot physically, but one remark can cripple us. So yeah, sticks and stones may break my bones, but apparently words can do a lot worse than that. And wicked words not only lead to broken spirits, but they can lead to broken relationships. Proverbs 16, 27, 
and 28 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Sinful words lead to broken relationships. People who ought to have been close friends can be torn apart just through words. This is why James, in that New Testament book, James spoke about the tongue with such vivid language, didn't he? He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, he says. It's a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Satan is called the father of lies, and he was only getting started in the Garden of Eden. Satan works through fallen image bearers of God today, like me and like you. And he's setting the world ablaze, according to James, by setting one person against another, by setting a nation against another, and all with words, with words. It happens in the workplace, and it happens in the playground. It happens between enemies, and it happens between lovers. It happens in the houses of parliament. And it happens in your house as well. Words destroy. But words also heal, don't they? Let me complete that proverb 12, 18. Remember we talked about parallelism last time in Hebrew poetry. The first and the second line in a verse in your Bible. Those two lines go together. They're meant to shed light on one another. And here... It does so by using contrasts. So we read there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but that's not the whole picture. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can heal as well as destroy. Wise words war against wicked words. They reverse the ruin that destructive words can bring and they can restore people and they can reconcile people together. Remember we said at the start, it's not just death that is in the power of the tongue, it's life as well. Life. We saw that wicked words can, can break a spirit, but righteous words can heal a spirit. Listen to this proverb. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. Maybe you've experienced that. You're down, you're dejected, you don't know if you're doing your job right, you don't know if you're doing parenting right, whatever it is, and one word of encouragement can completely raise your spirit. We also noted that wicked words break relationships, but again, righteous words can heal relationships. And so when there's tension in the home, the wise wife of Proverbs 31 opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so the children or the husbands who deserve a rollicking maybe instead receive undeserved kindness 
And what could have been a full-blown argument is calmed right down and peace is restored in the home. That's what we long for in our relationships, isn't it? We long for words to bring healing and to restore peace. I know when I was a teacher, driving in the car to work, I give myself the pep talk. I'm not, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to say what I think, no matter what sulkiness or rudeness or stubbornness comes my way in the staff room or in the classroom. I'm going to meet it head on with kindness and with gentleness. I want to be Christ-like with my words today. I want to bring calm into this classroom. But five minutes into the toughest class or the hardest pupil, and before I know it, well, you've experienced it, I'm sure. Before you know it, you've shot your mouth off. What you said was true, but the tone wasn't right. Or what you said was actually wrong. Wild exaggeration. We say unfair things about people. Why do we find it so difficult to heal with our words instead of hurting people? with our words. James was right. He said, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. You see, we need to realize that in this war of words, whether it's on social media or whether it's face to face, whether it's in churches or families or friendship, there's a war of words because there's another war going on. There's the war within. Consider Proverbs 10, 20. It says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. And again here, this rule of parallelism, one line reflecting on the other, it helps us out again. Sometimes it helps to think, what would I expect the second line to say? And so we might think, Something like this, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the tongue of the wicked is of little worth. The righteous person and the wicked person are being contrasted with each other, but it's their tongue. That should stay the same, shouldn't it? But, but not so. We find out that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. What's the poet doing? Well, he's connecting your tongue with your heart. He's saying the two are, are connected. And, and this doesn't happen just once in Proverbs. It happens again and again and again. And the point is this, that the heart is the source of your words. Under pressure, in fact, especially under pressure, whatever comes out of you is whatever was in you. And so a wise, righteous heart produces wise, righteous words. Words that heal people instead of hurting people. But a wicked heart produces destructive words in all its forms. Lies, gossip, slander, flattery, and so on. Now this isn't always apparent because we're, we're good at hiding the state of our heart with our words, aren't we? Sometimes someone can be very obvious what the state of their heart is with their tongue. 
Remember those sword thrusts? Or to use a different metaphor, they shoot wildly from the hip with their words. And so we know rightly what's going on in there, but sometimes people mask what's going on in here with clever words. Consider this pair of Proverbs. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. I did a bit of pottery at art college and I can tell you that a good glaze can mask some pretty ugly craftsmanship. And that's what the image is here. Someone can seem to be kind and gracious, but it's like a beautiful glaze that's covering over a wicked heart. The next two Proverbs complete the thought. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. There's that word heart again. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. And so even though we try to hide our hearts with our words eventually, it will come out. The key takeaway from the book of Proverbs with regards to speech is beginning to emerge then. This is what I want you to remember. Righteous words come from righteous hearts. And of course, the opposite is true as well. Wicked hearts produce wicked words. And even though they appear to produce good fruits, at times, in the end, the heart will be exposed for what it is. This is exactly what Jesus teaches in the Gospels, isn't it? He says, the good person, this is Matthew 12, out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his treasure, that is his, his internal being, his heart, his spirit, the evil person out of his treasure brings forth evil. But then he says exactly what that last proverb said. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every curless word that they speak. The battleground, as always, in the war of words or with any other sin, is the battleground of the heart. And so words matter, says Jesus. Words might seem like little things, but they really matter because they give you a window into your heart. They show you what you're really like. We say things like, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't mean that. I spoke too soon. Pay no attention to me. I was just spouting off. But they're just smoke screens. Because really those words reveal what we were really thinking and what we really believed in our heart. Alec Matir, the Bible teacher, is bang on when he says, sins of speech are one of the most lightly regarded of all sins today. One of the most lightly regarded of all sins. And one of the most serious in the Bible's estimation, he says. That's challenging isn't it? Jerry Bridges calls them respectable sins, not the obvious ones that we often talk about, but sins of speech, respectable sins. We, we tolerate them 
But the Bible says that they're both destructive and they're damning, ultimately. That's what Jesus says. They're damning. And so we're foolish to excuse our words. We're foolish for two reasons. First of all, we can't fool the Lord. Remember what we learned in our series on the seven churches in Revelation? Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees to the very heart of the matter. And so whatever clever, beautiful glaze we place over our hearts, Jesus burns it off. He sees through it. We can't fool him. And the second reason why we must face up to our sins of speech is because if we don't own them, we can never repent of them. There can never be any healing in our hearts. The author of Hebrews warns us that if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's a hard verse, a tricky one. But really he's saying this, blood-bought sinners will repent of their sins. We'll not make excuses for our words. We'll own them. We will eat our words, as another proverb goes. We'll accept them, and then we'll repent of them. Because sins of speech are acceptable, apparently, in our culture, they're all the more difficult to own up to. But when we own up to them, we can find forgiveness and we can find healing. So what sins of speech do you need to repent of this morning? Maybe it's gossip, which we often dress up as having a concern for someone else. I'm, you know, I'm so concerned about so-and-so. Or I want to share this prayer request. Gossip. Or maybe it's lying. Even little lies, no such thing as a little lie. One of the seven things that are an abomination to the Lord in Proverbs is lying lips. I've heard Christians who are quick to say that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. So it is. That's what the Bible says. But so are sins of speech, an abomination to the Lord. Maybe it's flattery, sweet-talking your way into friendships or promotions. Or maybe dialing down your witness to Christ so that you can be in with the crowd at school or at work. Again, to quote James, only the perfect man has completely controlled his tongue. And so all of us have sins of speech that we need to repent of this morning. And that's what I'm going to give us the opportunity to do now. I'm going to pause and offer us an opportunity to repent before the Lord as individuals of our sins of speech. So, so let's bow our heads for a moment. And perhaps you'd like to use the words of Isaiah. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a, a man, a woman of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But now hear these words of pardon. These words of pardon which 
the angel of the Lord announced to Isaiah, after touching Isaiah's lips with a coal from the altar of God, he said, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Amen. That's stage one in battling in the war of words. We need to confess that we actually have sins of speech, not excuse them, but bring them before the Lord and accept that there's still indwelling sin in our hearts and it needs to be repented of. But the second stage of battling in the war of words is battling for change. The book of Proverbs is full of positive instruction for what to do with your words. But before I dive into that, let's remind ourselves of two very important things. When it comes to applying commands or laws or wisdom to our lives, we need to remember these two things. Both of them are helpfully found in 1 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1, 3, which says, first of all, that Christ gives us everything we need to live a godly life. He empowers us to walk in step with the Spirit, or we could say to speak in step with the Spirit. He's the power source. And then secondly, he calls us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, not only does he give us the power to be holy, but he gives us a picture of what holiness looks like. His glory and excellence. And so as we study Christ and how he spoke, We see how we're meant to speak as well. In him, we've been given a model of holiness and we've been given power to be holy. And so to be wise, we need to look to the one of whom Solomon was just a shadow of. We need to look to Jesus, the true sage, the one of whom even his enemy said, no one ever spoke like this man. The man who used his words to heal people, both physically and spiritually. And the one who withheld his words and remained silent so that he might suffer for our sins rather than defend himself. Jesus graciously teaches us through his word. By his word, the heavens and the earth were created. And he recreates our hearts as well. And so we need to continually come to him. Righteous words come from righteous hearts. Jesus' heart was the only truly righteous heart. We come to him to have ourselves declared righteous. And we keep coming to him that the fruit of righteous speech might grow. And might flow out from our hearts. Now with that in mind... Let's turn to the picture of righteous speech that Proverbs paints for us. And we can sum this up again with another non-biblical proverb. Two ears, one mouth. You've heard that before, haven't you? Maybe you've been rebuked with that. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen more and speak less. Well, actually, that sums up a lot of what Proverbs has to say about speech. Listen to Proverbs 12. 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. You should listen more and speak less. 
That's what the book of Proverbs is teaching us. And in fact, the book is built on this principle. Remember, we said chapters 1 to 9, that's the first section of the book of Proverbs. And right throughout that, what we find is a wise father teaching his son. And we never hear the son speak, only the father. And so, as children of God, we humbly sit at the feet of the wise and we listen. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Quiet learners, rather than quick talkers, become wise, and they avoid saying stupid things, things that hurt people, things that destroy relationships and even their own reputation. Righteous words come from righteous hearts. Let's add to that, that first Listen carefully. That's what Proverbs is teaching us. Now, very briefly, here are two reasons why we should speak less and listen more. First of all, when we speak less and listen more, we undermine sinful speech. Whether it's sinful speech in our own hearts or the sinful speech of others around us. Consider gossip. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Remember, one tiny spark is all that is needed to set off a forest fire. Keep your lips sealed and the inferno of gossip will go no further. What about boasting? Proverbs 27, 2, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. In other words, boasting can make a fool of you because you have no idea what circumstances are going to change and how that advantage that you had might soon be taken away from you. You'll have to eat your words. But someone who is humble and doesn't boast, not only does that protect your reputation, but it teaches you to fearfully trust in the sovereign God who is in control of circumstances. We sang that in that Getty song. Now, there are just two examples of the many sinful patterns of speech that are dealt with in Proverbs, but the lesson is always the same. In every case, silence severs the root of sinful speech. So think before you pass on that tasty morsel of gossip, before you hit post on Facebook, before you let that clever, cutting response that you've been thinking about all day pass your lips, think, be quiet. As Proverbs says, ponder the path of your feet. Or you could say, ponder what's about to come out of your mouth. A rule of silence not only stops the spread of sin, but it actually allows you to examine your heart and to think about what was just about to come out. Saw an incredible video last week of a, a tractor. I have no idea what the terminolo terminology is with a, a great big harvester on the back. And there was a raging fire in his field of corn. It was one of these great American fields that just goes on for miles and miles. And he drove out bravely and he drove a ring around the fire. And because he did that, the fire could go no further. And he saved his crops. Silence does that. It stops the spread of sinful speech. So maybe that means 
praying before posting on social media. Maybe it means excusing yourself right away from a situation where you know there's going to be gossip. Whatever it is, may the Spirit empower us to close our mouths and to open our ears. And now that brings me on to the second thing. The second reason why we should be silent and listen, we listen so that we can be blessed by the wise speech of other people. Psychologists tell us that people rarely listen when someone else is talking to them. You've maybe experienced that on the giving end or the receiving end. You're planning what you're going to say rather than listening to the person who's speaking. And because of pride, we can assume I've got it all sorted out. I don't need to hear what that person has to say. But this is a tragedy because it's only when we listen that we learn. When we're prepared to listen, we can receive the discipline of a loving, gentle rebuke. Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So next time you receive a criticism, and I confess this is something I need to work on, hear it out. And maybe say, instead of defending yourself, thank you, brother. Let me consider that and pray about it. Because even if it's an unfair criticism, you can still learn from it. And you're accepted by your loving Heavenly Father anyway. That's all you need. When we listen, we're also blessed by mature instruction. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. This is the right motive for reading good Christian books, for fighting to concentrate when the pastor's preaching, for allowing others to speak in home groups. Home groups starting up soon. Maybe you're usually the first to jump in with your answer. Are you really listening to what your brothers and sisters have to say? Or are you just plotting what you're going to say? Can I challenge you? When you're driving to home group in a few weeks' time, pray, Father, help me listen well tonight. Let me learn something from everyone who speaks. Righteous words come from righteous hearts that listen carefully. And you know what? This, this is exactly what we see in the Lord Jesus. We might be surprised to see it in him, but it's exactly what we see. At the age of 12, he's found by his mother and father in the temple, isn't he? And what do they find? He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke 2, 46. Did you hear that? He was listening. The eternal word of God, wisdom incarnate, was sitting quietly and listening. And yes, asking questions, which is really just another way of listening. He was learning in humility. Now, there's a mystery to that. Why did the Son of God have to learn anything? Remember how our children's song goes? Jesus understands the universe, but he had to go to school to learn how to write his name. And according to Luke's gospel, he had to go and sit at the feet of rabbis to learn the Torah. But if Jesus Christ humbled himself to listen to others, then we have no excuse. So should we. 
But did you pick up that he wasn't only listening there? He was also answering their questions wisely. You see, listening means growing in wisdom. The point of listening carefully first is so that we would actually have something wise to say. Proverbs is not saying, just be quiet and you'll never get into trouble. Well, that's true. If you be quiet, you'll never speak out of turn. But actually, the point is that we would have something to say. Two ears, but one mouth. Two ears and one mouth. Yes, words are dangerous. And we might come to the conclusion that we should just stay quiet. Take some vow of silence like a monk. But the wisdom of silence and listening is so that we would eventually be able to bless other people with our speech. Righteous words come from a righteous heart that listens carefully. We're running out of time. We don't have time to examine how Proverbs counsels us to speak with gentleness in our rebuke, with courage when we do confront a fool with utter integrity, always telling the truth. But the point is this, we must speak. We must speak. Christ has called us to encourage one another. He's called us to be witnesses to him in the world and to train younger Christians as well. Older men and older women, we need you. We need you to come to women's ministry and to iron. Susanna's not here, so I can share this without embarrassing her. She was at one of the rooted Bible studies, and she told me that when one of the older women was, was sharing in the Bible study, it was, and I quote her, gold dust. Gold dust. Maybe you think you don't belong there and you have nothing to say, but you do. We need to hear your wise encouraging words. We need Titus to women who train the younger women, says Paul, and men who will likewise urge the younger men. And I say this to everyone, we need to hear your prayers in the midweek, audible prayers that teach younger Christians and older Christians how to pray. Discipleship isn't complicated. Pray, share, speak audibly. And the saints will be built up. We started this morning by saying that in words is the power of death. But remember, in words is the power of life. In Eden, Satan used words to destroy humanity. But according to Proverbs, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. And so as the people of God encourage, lovingly rebuke, Train, teach, listen, share each other's sorrows, sing together. It's a foretaste of heaven on earth. Words matter. And so, may the all-wise Savior and the Spirit who sanctifies us, may he help you to sever foolish speech at the root and to bear the fruit of life-giving words in all your encounters. Amen. Let's pray.